Godzilla, Mothra, Rodan, and Ghidorah. It's a battle royale in John versus Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Hey, and welcome back to John vs. Film. Today, we're going to talk about my favorite MonsterVerse movie, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. And I, I really do love this movie. It's definitely my favorite Hollywood Godzilla movie. I don't know where I would put it on the rest of the Godzilla movies comparison, but I do think Michael Daugherty did a fantastic job with this movie. Uh, I know this movie, it's kind of split within the fan base and general audience uh, about its quality, but I am a I am a King of the Monsters stan all the way through. But, of course, this is John versus Film. So, let's start off with what I dislike. Now, funny enough, I actually have more problems with this one than I did with the last movie, Kong Skull Island. Yeah, it's like Kong I actually didn't have that many problems with. It, it, and you would know if you wa watched on YouTube or listened through other podcast hosting platforms. The last episode that I was very much positive with that movie and only had like one major problem and maybe like, I don't know, some slight nitpicks. But that aside, I do have a couple bit more problems with this one. With this movie, I should say. Uh, by the way, spoiler alert, I should start saying that every beginning of every episode... This is a very spoiler-heavy podcast. I do not hold back. So, my first issue with this has to do with the Oxygen Destroyer. I do feel that there was absolutely no build-up to that reveal. Even though it was a nice nod, and it was used for an effective moment, it needed a build-up. It desperately needed a build-up because it did come out of nowhere. And funny enough, there is a situation or a scene in the movie where they could have easily brought up the Oxygen Destroyer or at least hinted at it. Um, it would be during the UN meeting where Monarch is trying to defend themselves from the government. And... I think right there when they mention, you know, the military might have to step in to handle the Titans because Monarch's being so secretive, they could have mentioned that they're developing a new weapon that could potentially kill the Titans. So that would have been a build-up right there, and then to have it revealed to be Oxygen Destroyer, 
during that scene where they use it against Godzilla and Ghidorah. More effective on Godzilla, less effective on Ghidorah. Uh, I'm going off by memory, so forgive me. That was probably my major, my biggest complaint right there. Uh, shoot. <laughs> I, I, if I watched the movie last night, I had a couple more problems with it. I'm trying to think of them now. <laughs> Shoot. They'll probably go along when I like start talking about the movie a bit more. Uh, so yeah, Oxygen Destroyer. I guess it needed a bit more build-up. Maybe that was my only problem with the movie. <laughs> I don't know, maybe... As we talk, or as I talk, I should say, I'll find more problems. I, I'll bring them up. Because the thing is, I don't think it's better, objectively speaking, than Kong Skull Island. But I absolutely love this a lot more. I think that comes to my history with growing up with Godzilla. I mean, I watched Kong, of course, when I was a kid. As well, I watched not only the Peter Jackson movie when it came out, I watched the original when I was a kid, and of course I watched Godzilla vs. Kong. But I was a die-hard Godzilla fan. And what I absolutely love about this movie that, while the 2014 movie was more like afraid to step into the realm of Godzilla, or at least a more fantastical element of it, they try to keep it more grounded. In this one, they go full throttle, metal to the pedal, into the fantasy, science fantasy elements of the Toho Godzilla movies. They don't shy away with it, shy away from it. They completely embrace it. And I do believe this has the heart of the 60s Godzilla movies, which my personal favorite Godzilla movie is Mothra vs. Godzilla, and I totally see, like, at least in spirit, capturing that peak Godzilla, in my opinion. Uh, oh, 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 I, I do have another dislike. It is a lack of Mothra screen time. Needed more Mothra screen time in that movie. But other than that, other than that, oh, and maybe it would have been nice to hear Rodan's theme and Ghidorah's theme from Ifukabe's soundtrack. But the music here is fine. I'll, I'll get to the music later. Oh, I, okay. Yep, see, I knew as soon as I started talking, I'm like picking up the things I don't like. Uh, the lack of a opening credit sequence. I did not like that. However, I can justify with this movie because it does have a really great end credit sequence. But, you know, it's still a little disappointing to not have an opening credit sequence. Especially since the other three MonsterVerse movies do have an opening credit sequence. Uh... So, there we go. Some more things I disliked about this movie. They might be a bit more nitpicky, but whatever. They are complaints. 
Let's address them. It is John versus film after all. But who am I getting? I love this movie. Uh, let's start off with the portrayals of the kaiju or the titans as they call them. And I do, even though at first I had a problem with them not calling them kaiju, I do ultimately respect and at the end do like that they call them titans because this movie treats the kaiju like gods. And I do like that element because... Well, Godzilla 2014 was more focused on the scientific aspect of these creatures. This one really delves in, like I said before, to fantasy. And treating them like gods and going back to like prehistoric or BC mythos and going through different cultures, mythologies, it gives the Titans a lot more mythos. Something more unworldly or holy, I guess, than just giant creatures. There's a sort of mystic element to them. And there's a lot of, you know, religious symbolism and mythological symbolism as well. Uh, Especially that one shot with Ghidorah on top of the volcano. We get to see the cross. You know, to symbolize that Ghidorah is the devil. And also him coming from Antarctica. Ghidorah, you know, has a lot of similarities be, uh, being the devil. And that. But, yeah, I do love that that they're just not... They're more than just giant animal creatures. And I also love that there's so much personality with this movie, with the kaiju. like. You get a sense of personality with Godzilla being this uh, hardened warrior. Someone who has seen a lot of battles and is still a little pissed off. A a lot of pissed off, actually. And you get it with Rodan being this Starscream-like figure. Look at the switching sides on a dime. You know, there's a lot of facial expressions. And Ghidorah, I mean, I love that this movie has three different personalities, one for each head. That is something that Toho hasn't even done. And I gotta say, I think this is my favorite version of Ghidorah. Um, But before I go into that, let me mention that I absolutely love that even Mothra, you know, an, an insect creature she has a personality to her they were man they somehow managed to express a personality to mothra yet disney has failed to (laughs) express personality with their lion king remake which i never saw and will never see unless i'm requested to on the podcast uh if this podcast ever becomes popular i feel like People are going to go back to this episode and be like, oh, he said he'll watch this movie if we request it. I'm going to be like, please don't torture me like that. Anyway, what am I talking about Lion King for? Okay, I guess I should bring up. It was a comparison that was made because both movies came out around the same time. I think Lion King came out in 2019. I'm 90 
nine percent sure it came out in 2019. But yeah, there was a comparison between the two with how they portrayed the animals or the Titans in Godzilla's case. But yeah, there was a lot more personality with the Titans than there were with the Lion King animals. And I do think that's to this movie's great benefit to just show them as like visually showing them as characters, not just mindless animals. And let's go back to King Ghidorah or Ghidorah or Monster Zero. I love the nod to the movie Monster Zero with the with blah 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 blah. I can't speak right now. <laughs> that name Monster Zero. So yeah, why is this my favorite version of Ghidorah? Well, for one, the personalities like I mentioned, because you got Ichi, the centerhead, you know, just being this menacing, maniacal, in charge leader. And then you got Ni, who's like the least uh, expressive, I guess, out of the three heads. We don't really see much of Ni. I guess the best way to describe Ni is that he is like the more aggressive brute of the heads. Like, I I guess that would be the best way to do it. He again, there's hard. There's not much you can say with Ni. I feel like that head got underdeveloped but again i like how ichi the center head is the one in charge ni i believe is the right head making the left head be san or as everyone loves to call him kevin why is he called kevin well because he's kevin you know what that's gonna be the one thing i don't spoil about this movie uh, if you haven't seen Godzilla King of the Monsters, at least watch it to see Kevin. Because everyone loves Kevin. Anyway, not only do I like the personalities, the three separate personalities for the heads, but I do love that how the movie treats Ghidorah's presence a lot more like there's a lot of weight to his awakening to just being on earth like there's such a threat that i feel like what the original Ghidorah three-headed monster was trying to convey but was you know obviously restricted with it's uh with the times you know with the technology back then you can only do so much you know because back then they do mention that Ghidorah will destroy the earth if unless you know earth's monsters you know rallied up together and helped defeat Ghidorah but again with technology back then Ghidorah only came across as another giant monster here though because he generates a storm around them and is actively altering the earth's climate just with his presence that is powerful that makes him a threat right there to us humans. And the fact that he can stand up to Godzilla pretty well on land, that makes him another threat. And that he, with his roar after 
the humans stupidly used the oxygen destroyer, which had no effect on Ghidorah. In fact, the director has confirmed that Godzilla would have killed Ghidorah if their humans didn't interfere. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I gotta stop saying, uh, that's something I gotta constantly work on. So yeah, when he's like on the volcano and he does that roar, he unleashes all the titans and all the titans start wrecking havoc. It definitely feels very apocalyptic that he does have the power to destroy the earth. I love that. And I also love that they don't shy away from his alien origin. They made him an alien. I love that. I think they did it in a way that made sense in the MonsterVerse. I absolutely love that. And I think the best part about this one is that, well, through Godzilla's history, we've seen in a meta sort of way, we've seen Ghidorah as Godzilla's rival. But that's only in like a meta context. If you actually watch the movies, there isn't really an arch nemesis rivalry going between the two. Again, it's only like in a meta context that we've seen them this way. But here they actually bring that meta context into the story and declare that Godzilla and Ghidorah have a rivalry. A rivalry. I hope I'm saying that right. <laughs> but they they do have history together. Like how we don't know how Ghidorah necessarily ended up frozen in the Antarctic, but we do get the sense that there is this history between Godzilla and Ghidorah. That they have duped it out before. And that Godzilla sees Ghidorah as a legitimate threat. It, I I love it. I love it so much. Just there is so much respect to the Godzilla franchise in this movie. Now, I know some people complain about the fan service in this movie and how it may be pandering, but I don't think so. See, take a movie like Rise of Skywalker. That chugged in a lot of fan service, but I felt like there that was pandering very much pandering to try to make up for a very lackluster movie. I felt that they did a lot of the fan service to try to bake people with their nostalgia to watch this movie. And it felt like more of a corporate decision for those fan service. Anyway, I'm not talking about Disney star Wars. I need to stop talking about Disney because I want to talk about Godzilla. Ah, here, though, my comparison, though, is that here, though, I, f I feel the passion for the Godzilla franchise with these fan service callbacks. And you also have to be, like, consider it's like a lot of these, like, fan service, you got to admit, they're pretty specific. Like, it can't just be a corporate exec you know, Googling popular Godzilla things and just, oh, let's put that in the movie to appease the minority fan base. Because the thing is, we also have to attend with Star Wars. That's a very 
major franchise in the States, while Godzilla, it does have a niche audience. And it needs to do a lot more heavy lifting to try to get a general audience reception. So to see even the like even a tiny amount of fan service that we got in this movie, I felt that even that was surprising. But how much fan service we got was I, I'm not gonna complain. It's something I did not expect Hollywood to do. It just it goes beyond just Easter eggs. And even then there's like you got Angurus skeleton in the Hollow Earth sequence of uh, with Godzilla's lair. But you have to it's a blink and you'll miss it scene. And Michael Dodery confirmed that that was Angurus. That that's a very specific you know, reference to God, how it's portrayed that Godzilla and Angurus are friends, they're buddies. And Angurus was there at Godzilla's, you know, underwater lair. And also the different outposts. Other than Outpost 32, the other outposts, their number represents a year that a Godzilla movie came out. Or in Skull Island's case, King Kong's original movie being Outpost 33. That, you know, so yeah, and you get these references to other Godzilla movies with just the Outpost numbers, like Outpost 54, Castle Bravo, that's obviously a reference to the original Godzilla movie. Then you get random numbers. No, no, sorry. Before we get to the random Outposts, we gotta get to Isla de Mara, that has Outpost 56, which is in reference to Rodan's film debut, which I love. And then we see the other Outpost. We got Outpost 75. That's a reference to Terror of Mechagodzilla. I believe it was Outpost 92, uh, Godzilla versus Mothra, the second. Yeah, the second one. Or, because, well, yeah. Godzilla naming conventions are weird, all right, because it's Godzilla versus Mothra. Godzilla versus Mothra came out in the nineties. Mothra versus Godzilla came out in the sixties. All right, so let's get that cleared up. And there's other, you know, references to that. Outpost sixty-seven. That's the same year that Son of Godzilla came out, and I don't think it was War of Gargantras that came out that year. But I'm pretty sure another Toho movie came out in the year 67. But yeah, it's I love that these numbers actually are referenced to something and not just random numbers. The only exception, again, is Outpost 32. That not being a reference to any movie release, but is a reference to John Carpenter's The Thing, which I love that movie. It is a fantastic movie. Go watch that as well. So yeah, you got those Easter eggs. Uh, Godzilla's entrance in Mo in uh, Boston. I almost said Mothra. Uh, no, no, that's this is not that type of podcast. No, no one's going in Mothra. All right, get that out of your heads. We're not doing that. But anyway, Godzilla making his entrance in Boston totally 
100% calls back to Terror of Mechagodzilla with Godzilla's entrance there. I, again, that's very a niche reference there, you gotta admit. I mean, I guess you can Google it, but, you know, you can Google Godzilla entrance. But, I don't know. I don't think that's what happened here. I think that Michael Dautry and the team behind this movie had a genuine passion for this movie. And it's not just those fan service Easter eggs that represent that. And like I mentioned before, the kaiju were represented perfectly in this movie. I also love the battles here. Now, I know that there is a huge displeasure of battles that are not taking place during the daytime. But I'm going to have to say a hot take here. I do not mind that the battles here were in the middle of a storm, either thunderstorm or snowstorm. I actually love it. Because I know Michael Dortry, I think this was a bad excuse as to why they you know, did it, the battles, and Storm saying, oh, you know, it's more expensive with the CGI and yada yada. I do think that's a bad excuse. But the reason I like it more is that the setting really reflects the conflict a lot more. And it's something we don't get to see a lot in the other Godzilla movies. I mean, guys, let's be real. We've gotten plenty of daytime battles in previous Godzilla movies. But here, when we get to see Godzilla fighting Ghidorah in a storm, either a snowstorm or a thunderstorm... It really does reflect the more, like, that this isn't just a normal everyday battle. That this is a battle between gods. That their battles are literally changing the earth around them as lightning clashes as they bite. And, oh, I think it does. The storms help emphasize how massive that these conflicts are between Godzilla and Ghidorah, that this isn't just a battle between two monsters, but a battle between two gods trying to control the Earth. And by the way, I don't think it's too dark. I mean, is such an improvement over Godzilla 2014. For that one, you have to be in a dark room to watch, let's be honest. Even 4K... That's better than the Blu-ray transfer, but still, you gotta admit, that's that's a pretty dark movie. Here, though, it's not completely dark. I feel like I feel like the uh, argument that all oh, the daytime battles, you know, I, there needs to be daytime battles, you know, or oh, it's too dark to see. I think it's blown a bit out of proportion. Like, I everything was visible. I didn't have a problem. Uh. And now I'm not going to touch upon the the whole cutting back to the humans. I, I guess I'll touch upon it a little bit. I don't have a problem with here that they're cutting back to the humans because it fits it fits better here as they're not like say in 2014 when they cut back to the humans. There they're cutting to a different scene, interrupting the action. Here though, the action between the monsters. They get to continue. Like when we cut back to the humans. 
it's still in the middle of that action sequence and we get to cut back to the monster action. I guess to say is while Godzilla 2014 was interested in teasing us by cutting away from the battles entirely here though, they're cutting to the humans during the action. Like they're involved in the action. So it actually makes sense to cut to the humans here than it is than it was in 2014 where that felt annoying here i didn't have a problem with it because again the action is still allowed to continue and we're still allowed to see see the action to its conclusion sure we don't get to see every punch but we don't need to and also again it's also nice to see the human like the monster fights from that human perspective from that ground level perspective which i think Hollywood has the budget to really show that effectively. Uh, I do have a video plan on that where I'm going to go more in details about it. But I, I guess I have a genuine issue with that. I guess criticism being levied on this film because I don't think it's justified here. Uh, and speaking about humans... I don't mind the humans except for gonorrhea guy. Okay, another dislike. That gonorrhea joke did not need to be there. That not only was it not funny, it was very much poorly timed. I don't think that needed to be in the movie. That could have been easily cut that cut out. And I think that character as well. Didn't need to be in that movie. He could have just went bye-bye. And I don't care. But other than that. I like the human. Blah. I like the human cast. And I like how much more involved they are with the kaiju story. Than they were in the 2014 movie. Because instead of say. In 2014 they were mostly focused on the mudos. Or and they were just more reactive. About it, there's more of an active role with the human cast here, as a as their role is more impactful to the events to what ha what the kaiju are doing. Because again, in 2014, their actions were reactive, and they didn't ultimately have much of an impact with what the Titans were doing. Here, though, their actions do have a great effect of what happens in the movie along with the kaiju because humans were the ones to awaken Ghidorah. Humans were the ones to use the oxygen destroyer that temporarily killed Godzilla and allowed Ghidorah to escape. It was humans that saved Godzilla by using a nuke. And you know what? I'm not going to touch the whole nuke thing here. That's a definite... I need to do a whole video on that. Especially now since I'm running out of time. But I, I'm, I'm just got to gush about this movie a bit more. It's, again, I do love the humans were more active here. Now, I also love that another surprising thing was how they referenced the Mothra Twins. I did not, I repeat, did not expect. Last thing I would expect was to see reference to the fairies in the MonsterVerse. But I do love it. And by the way, I wish that alternate ending credits scene was in the movie. I 
totally wish that was in the movie. I'm so floored and happily surprised that they referenced the fairies and how much they took care to represent Mothra's history. And oh my god, Mothra's scene when she awakens from the cocoon and her theme song is playing. Oh my god. Like, this movie has some beautiful shots. That's another thing I love about this movie is how it emphasizes not only the terror that the Titans bring, but the the beauty that of the Titans as well. The beauty of these creatures, along with their terror. Sure, they're frightening, but they're also beautiful. There's something majestic about them. And that Mothra scene, that shot with her in the waterfall, oh my goodness. I can't get enough of it. There was just a couple moments, you know, I had to rewind it. I just wanted to watch again, you know, scenes. Uh, Rodan scene as well. His standalone scene was great. Even though you can argue Rodan's appearance was not necessary. But it was a welcome one for sure. Especially when he's going against the Jets. Oof, that is perfect. Kaiju action. Kaiju versus human action. And also how him just flying over the city. Causing these destructive winds. Blowing everything out of the way. It not only harkens back to the 2014. When Godzilla made landfall in Hawaii. When we got those giant waves. Washing everybody away but it harkens back to the 1956 original when they showed rodan flying causing destructive winds in its wake as he flies over just as he flies over or he flaps his wings it is oh my goodness it's fantastic now i gotta really wrap this section up as uh we're already running out of time but as you can tell I do love this movie. I gotta mention the music though. Bear McCreary was an excellent, excellent choice to do the score for this movie. And I do mean that his score, along with the Kira Ifakube's uh, music, which I'll, I'll get to in a second. I do love his score the best compared to the other three MonsterVerse movies. Because that's the one that I go back to and I'll listen to the album in my car as I'm driving to work or something. Or I'll just listen to it casually. I go back to that more than I do with the other soundtracks. Nothing wrong with the other soundtracks, don't get me wrong. But the music here gives such a a grandiose... A feeling to this movie that there's something grand and cinematic to them and don't get me started with how he did the Akira Ifakube music and not just Akira Ifakube's music but Mothra's theme I love that they didn't go with Ifakube's soundtrack like his version of Mothra's song but the original Mothra's theme song and it's updated beautifully and the soundtrack i also love that it wasn't like say the 2017 power rangers movies where 
they did throw the Power Rangers theme in, but it did feel very last minute. Oh, just throw it in for the fans. No, there is an importance to the Godzilla music. I love that Hollywood acknowledged that. And they used Godzilla's theme as a light motif for Godzilla. It was very much... <sighs> My God, I, I just... When this movie came out, I just was floored by it. I was so... Th this movie blew my expectations because it just showed the passion it had for the Godzilla franchise and the respect that it did. And it bringing Ifukabe's music and not just, you know, oh, we'll put a little bit into the movie. No, they used that sound. You know, Godzilla's seen multiple times in the movie as Godzilla's leitmotif. Oh my goodness. And Mothra's song. She uses, like, like they use her song as her leitmotif. Now, it's not as present as, say, Godzilla's, but you can actually hear that if you listen carefully multiple times throughout the movie, not just the waterfall scene. Oh, and you know what? Let's talk about sounds, because even though they do give the monsters updated wars, you can still hear their classic wars, except for Rodan's. Like, there's a couple instances where you can hear Mothra's signature war along with her new war. It was, like, sprinkled in there. Uh, Ghidorah's, you can hear part of his classic war. The beep 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 that little chirping noise at the Fenway Park when he makes a land fall on Fenway Park in Boston. And Godzilla's War, they mix in Godzilla's signature war with his legendary war. Oh my god, I, I did not expect them to go back to Godzilla's classic war like they did in this movie. Oh my, they just did so much right with this movie. And even though, yeah, like technically I have more problems with this movie than I did with Kong's, Kong Skull Island. And you know what? Granted, I am biased. I am very biased with this movie because I am a huge Godzilla fan. And I pick up on all these references because I've seen all of Godzilla movies multiple times each. So take that as you will. I still love this movie. I don't get tired after rewatches and I can go on and on and on as I, as I have, but I got to wrap this up. Uh, oh, and one more thing. Well, two more things. One, I love that. They finally, after so many years brought blue, blue oyster cults, Godzilla song into a Godzilla movie. And I love that this one's backed up with the orchestra that, Gives that again that cinematic feel that Bear McCreary did an excellent job with. And that ending credits sequence was, it just felt like with that song playing, that this was a celebration of the Godzilla franchise. You know what? That's what this movie is Godzilla King of the Monsters is a celebration of Godzilla. Oh, and by the way, even though it's named after the original American dub of the original Godzilla movie. I love that they gave importance to the title King of the Monsters and they gave that meaning. Again, 
This movie was definitely a celebration to the Godzilla franchise, in my opinion. And my last thing, and I, I promise you, this is the last thing I'm going to gush about. I do love... Okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, I know I'm breaking promises. Two things. like Just one more quick thing before I go on the last big thing. The one more quick thing is I love that they put Godzilla, Ghidorah, Rodan, Mothra in the credits as them playing themselves. I do love that. I love that little neat thing where you look at the credits. It says Godzilla as himself. Love that. Okay, last thing. I promise. I pinky promise this time so I can't break it. I swear. I love that they made tribute to... Haruo Nakajima after he passed away in 2017. And shoot, I gotta look it up. Uh, it was the Godzilla vs. Hedorah director. Give me one second. They brought. You know, they gave him tribute at the end of the credits as well. Uh, I should have had this up before. My apologies. Third episode. Yoshimi Tsubano. Yes, I love that the movie at the. End of the credits, it says in memory of Yoshi Yutsuba. Yeah. Blah. Sorry. Sorry. My apologies. Yoshi Mitsubano and in memory of Haruo Nakajima as he both passed away in 2017. And they both had an influence to the movie. Like, into the Godzilla franchise. I mean, Yoshi Mitsubano, he directed Godzilla vs. Hedora, which has been a cult classic. And he was a producer for a lot of Godzilla movies during the Millennium Eras, and I believe, and he was the one that ultimately was trying to get Godzilla back, um, at least into the West, you know, or at least making movies in the West after Final Wars, trying to get Godzilla back onto the big screen. So there, he did do a lot of effort into making the MonsterVerse. Blah, the MonsterVerse. I gotta stop tripping over my own words. And of course, Haruo Nakajima being the suit, the suit actor of Godzilla for the longest time. Even previous Godzilla suit actors, they haven't had a history like Haruo Nakajima. Haruo Nakajima also did so much for the suit acting. I, I guess, like, as an art form, he really brought a lot to it. And I do love that with Haru Nakajima, not only did they give him a name drop, they put a picture with him, you know, in the Godzilla's suit. It was, I believe, Godzilla versus Ebra, that famous picture with him and water. You know, it's just, I love that it was more than just a name drop, but there felt like a total respect for the actor who sadly passed away in 2017. Uh, may he rest in peace. And I, oh, again, I love that they even played Godzilla's war to to say that he wasn't just the guy who played him in the suit, but that he was Godzilla. I felt that was such a heartfelt tribute. I, again, love this movie. But I know that... <laughs> I know that there are people online who do not like this movie. And that's what we're going to get to when we return with John versus Critics. I also got to create a little bumper in between. But anyway, here we go with 
John versus Critic. All right, welcome back to John versus Critic. Now, in the last two episodes, I mostly stick with user reviews. However, this time I want to do something a bit different and mainly focus on the critic reviews. Now, the reason why is back when Godzilla King of the Monsters came out, there was a huge controversy with the Rotten Tomatoes score being solo. I mean, right now with 348 reviews, it's still considered rotten with a 42%. Um, just a disclaimer right off the bat. I don't like Rotten Tomatoes as a site. I don't really care how they like rate things, I guess. Not like, again, it's not like really like, oh, I don't agree with opinions. It's more like, see, you see a lot of like, uh, like of the reviews, like it takes even somewhat negative reviews and just makes it a negative one. Like, there was a review score I saw when looking through reviews that gave this movie a C plus, which I think that's a pretty decent score, but that's considered rotten by Rotten Tomatoes standards. And yeah, it's just it's full of baloney giving any number grading percentage to a work of art is BS anyways. But even with that I do think that some of the critics here, <laughs> they're, they're a little comical, I'll admit. Now, back when the reviews came out on my old Twitter account, I did like say in a reply, I said, I don't think a lot of movie, like a lot of these film critics get the appeal of Godzilla movies. And I stand by the opinion. Now, I remember someone responded to that tweet, you know, thinking like they thought that I was like saying it as an insult. I was kind of saying it like this. Oh, you know, film critics just don't get it. They don't get it, which no, that's not what I meant. It's not like, see, that's the problem with Twitter, though. Twitter's just meant to generate rage but what i mean is i this movie was not meant for film critics film critics were not or at least these particular film critics they were not the target audience i think that's clear and i think it's generally fine to not get something that's like i when i say i don't think they get it i don't think they get the appeal it's not me trying to like insult their intelligence or insult their taste or anything it's just a general hey this is not meant for them and that's okay like i don't get twilight or any teen romance movies i don't get those but i know i'm not the target audience so it's fine for me to not get them or any movie, or any work of art. It's fine for me, or you, or anyone to not get something. I don't think we need to use it as an insult. Or, and nor should the statement be considered as one. 
But anyway, with that rambling part aside, I picked out three reviews. Now, one was more recent, and two were more when the around the time when the film came out. Like some of the earlier reviews. Earliest, I should say. Uh, so, like, like I said, even though I don't think them not getting it is insulting them, I do, and I, I'm, just for the record, I'm not insulting the critics themselves, but I am going to roast their criticisms. It's the public internet, and I have the right to do so. Uh, but first, let's start off with a review that came out around March of this year. This is from David Nusser of Real Film Reviews. And I will have... I should have the links in the description notes below. Yeah. Anyway, let's start off with him. He says, directed by Michael Daugherty. Godzilla came with the monsters follows an assortment of one-dimensional characters, including Madison, Kyle, like Chandler's Mark, Emma, as a race to prevent a series of building-sized monsters from destroying the planet. Well, one-dimensional is a bit harsh. I, I guess I can understand, you know, the human characters not doing it for people. I, I get. Like, I'll get some criticism. It's like, I can understand them. But, so, let's continue on with this. I, and there's a reason why I picked this review. It's short for one. <laughs> Filmmaker Daughtry, working from a script ran by Zach Shields, delivers a predominantly tedious disaster that strikes all the wrong notes right from the get-go. As the movie boasts or suffers from an excretingly distractingly slick sensibility that's reflected in its myriad of less than substantive elements. You know, this, this review sounds very snobbish. Like, all these words. You know, like, it, it's just so many adjectives, you know, exceedingly distractingly sensibility. Like it, it's a very, I don't know. It comes across as a bit snobbish. I, I find this humorous. With this especially true of the pictures, uniformly underwhelming and incoherent action sequences. <laughs> like. I just love the advanced vocabulary in this review to try to, to insult this movie. To, like, uh, uniformly underwhelming and incoherent action sequences. Just, you can shorten that a bit. But, you, you know what? No, don't shorten it. I love it how it is. Because, again, I'm finding this pretty humorous. Such moments rendered entirely with computers are about as convincing and compelling as a third-rate video game cutscene. Hey. Hey. Have you seen video game cutscenes lately? I mean, they're just about as long as movies. 
So, actually, you know what? You might have a point. Maybe we've been watching an entire video game cutscene this entire time, which, if that's the case, damn, what a very entertaining cutscene. And although the movie is fleetingly tolerable when focused on the exploits of its impressing, impressively eclectic human cast. See, <laughs> again, the wording. I love the words being used here to describe this movie. But I love that most fans and critics who don't like this movie are complaining that there's not enough monsters and too much humans. This guy's like, no, this movie's tolerable when we're focusing on the human cast. Yeah, I, I like this. I like this. Which includes David Strathairn, No, I'm sorry, David Strathairn, Bradley Whitford, Sally Hawkins, and Charles Dance. All right, those are the actors. Godzilla King of the Monsters is increasingly dominated by dimly lit set pieces that perhaps inevitably paved the way for an interminable second half that's capped off with an astonishingly no astonishingly tedious final battle. <laughs> Again, this is like a very <laughs> like elite critic theater art criticism you know it, it's just not oh the second half has a boring you know final battle or hey the last act boring final battle or uneventful or underwhelming it's just so descriptive but not descriptive in the scene but just descriptive in the opinion because you know, when you take these words, these words technically can mean anything to anyone. But again, the wording is just humorous. I find it very humorous. Maybe I'm the only one. With the end result, a very expensive looking flop that seems unlikely to please even the most indiscriminate of viewers. Man, I must be worse than the most indiscriminate view. You know, I'm going to look that up. Indiscriminate. Indiscriminate. Most indiscriminate. Indiscriminate is an adjective. And the definition is Done at random or without careful judgment of a per or similar of a person not using or exercising discrimination. So you're saying someone who has absolutely no discrimination will not like this. I <laughs> I guess I have less than <laughs> I'm I'm like the absolute peak indiscriminate or I'm beyond that because again, like I said, I love King of the Monsters to death. But let's go to one of the reviews I read back in the day. This is from the New York Post. I love this review. This is from Johnny No Relation. 
Alexinsky. I'm sorry if I butcher your name. So yeah, Godzilla King of the Monsters review. Reboot is too touchy-feely by Johnny Ale- Alexinsky. I, again, I apologize if I am completely butchering your last name, sir. And gave it two out of four stars. Godzilla has long served with the side of preachiness. Oh, has been long served with the side of preachiness. Actually, I like my Godzilla served with a side of ketchup and fries, personally. The Big Lizard's origin story in the 1950s was that it was awakened by nuclear explosions to wreak havoc among Havoc on Japan. Makes sense, right? Then in 1998 Matthew Broderick film, nuclear tests don't just wake Zilla up. Okay, you you call him Zilla. We are good start. They create him by affecting the DNA of a normal Gila, of a normal Gila monster. Broderick's character even demanded. Our hearts go out to the vicious beast because, like Lori Lawlin, she's just a hard-working mother who wants to help her kids survive in a harsh world. Yeah, but also the 1998 movie did a horrible job in executing that because it only really shows sympathy at the very end. If you want to see sympathy for that version of Zilla, or like, or that ver of Godzilla, check out Godzilla the Animated Series uh, was what fans call Zilla Jr. That is more representative and more sympathetic Godzilla out of the two. Anyway, well, Godzilla King of the Monsters pushes its messaging to bellyaching extremes. In an absurd speech, Emma explains that the destructive force of the Titans Godzilla, Mothra, Rodan, and the others is actually a good thing. Say what? Say what, Vera? Yeah, Vera, Vera Farmingas, scientist Emma. Sorry, I tried to shorten it, but again, that say what, Vera? I'm like, okay, I know that scene is very. Very, I don't know. I don't want to say. Shoot, I forget my words sometimes. Forgive me. <laughs> uh, it, it. I don't want to say. It's a non-spear, like a. It's a non-troversy, okay? About how the Titans and the move in that universe. Their radiation brings life to, you know, like destroyed lands and deserts and yada yada. It brings nature back. Now, here's the thing with radiation. Now, let's put our science mind to test. Not all radiation is nuclear. Let's get that out of the way. I mean, a good example solar radiation so again when people think radiation they think nuclear but 
radiation is not just nuclear. You got solar radiation. That's the only other radiation I could think of. But yeah, there's plenty of other radiation other than nuclear. So, and again, the thing I love about this movie, and this is part of the aspect, is that this movie draws more onto the fantasy elements of the Godzilla franchise. So, I didn't mind the plants coming back to San Francisco. Or Emma, you know, explaining how the Titans are a good thing. I mean, the ultimate message of the movie was balance. Like, you need balance. You can't just have all Titans and you can't just have all humans. There just needs to be a balance, and Godzilla is the balance. He is, nature is balance. Alright. Anyway, back to review. Humans have developed and polluted the planet to such dangerous extremes that the leveling of London, New York, Chicago, San Francisco by giant by a giant moth and a three-headed dragon will restore balance. Uh, well, excuse me, sir. Sir. Mothra didn't destroy anything. Also, uh, San Francisco was last movie. And they also, okay. The giant moth uh, does. Mothra. She does help restore balance. But the three-headed dragon in the movie, my good sir, they explained that the three-headed monster, Ghidorah, was bad. And that that was a mistake to unleash him. Because he was an invasive spirit, a species. The three-headed dragon was not the balance. Good sir, if you pay attention to the movie, <laughs> that was quite explaining. Yes, within 20 minutes of the film, Farmiga becomes a genocidal maniac. I mean, yeah, but she was, that's why we call her a villain? An antagonist, maybe? And again, it's the same logic, or at least similar logic to Thanos, and yeah, everybody loves that genocidal maniac. What's wrong with Emma? <laughs> what, is one... An alien can <laughs> want genocide, but a human character? No. No, a human character can't want genocide. But we're fine if a big buff purple alien daddy, Thanos, if he wants genocide, hey, he's gonna be the best Marvel villain ever. <laughs> I don't know. It's just... I don't get how that's a complaint. I mean, that's like the movie clear, like comes out and say that Emma's actions are bad. So we're not supposed to support her. Anyway, the filmmakers don't need don't necessarily endorse her controversial theory. But the but the third film in Legendary's Monsterverse series has nonetheless gone awfully touchy-feely about huge, uncontrollable killers. <laughs> what? <laughs> Nobody, it seems, wants to even attempt to put them down. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, okay, are you talking about Mothra, Ghidorah, Rodan, and Godzilla? Or are you talking about Emma? <laughs> 
And also, again, this wasn't even the first movie to do that. In the same year, we had Thanos. We had Thanos in Infinity War. And they made him to be somewhat sympathetic. Or at least, you know, a bit touchy-feely. I mean, we had that... Be sympathized with his belief of wanting to make a better, you know, world. It's just we disavow his actions of genocide. We don't agree with his actions of genocide. And we don't agree with Emma's actions of genocide. But <laughs> sympathetic villains are not... They're not <clears throat> something new. Okay, and to be fair to Emma, I think we've gone a bit more sympathetic to again some like somebody like Thanos. We've gone sympathetic to more to a lot worse characters. Like I don't mean like worse written. I mean like worse as in morality. But anyway, I, I just find it, it's just, it's gone, the MonsterVerse, guys, it's gone too touchy-feely. All right. Uh, anyway, Emma, who works with the top secret monarch organization, which keeps the creatures around the world in a state of hibernation, has her switch from responsible lab worker to psycho after being kidnapped by the crazy Alan Charles Dance. He's a powerful eco-terrorist whose turn-ons include stealing weapons and punishing mankind. Now, again, good sir, if you paid attention, they mentioned Emma went to the eco-terrorists first. So, the thing is, she was always a psycho. <laughs> I mean, like, she went to the terrorist first. That was revealed. Like the twist wasn't. Oh she turned. Like from the beginning. To. Like it wasn't a sudden turn from. Responsible lab worker to. Genocidal maniac. No it was revealed that. She always planned that. And again if you paid attention. She even tried to like. Tell her scientist buddy. Hey sit this one out. Tried to subtly warn them. With, but again, there's a reason why she's the antagonist. The villain. Or at least a human villain. Ay, ay, ay. And see, there's a reason why I picked this review. And why I had the opinion of, yeah, I don't think uh, people get these type, types of movies. Emma is also joined in that in captivity by her daughter, played by Millie Bobby Brown, who accomplishes one major task in more than two hours. It's lovely to hear Brown talk after being mostly silent on Stranger Things for two seasons, even if she's speaking on the nose dialogue such as, you're a monster, to her wacko mom. I, you know, you're focusing a lot on this, because here's the thing, if you look, I got only like, four small paragraphs left out of this article and you focused really a lot on Emma and like mostly on Emma like you were hung on that 
And I felt that Millie Bobby Brown's character, Madison, she wasn't a major character. Like, <clears throat> I, I felt like she was more of a side character, as the real stars are the monsters. And I think the human, like the main character, like the me, the main protagonist was Mark. Anyway. Continuing on with the review. Instead of Emma awakening the beasts herself, however, their alarm clocks all surprisingly go off at once. Oh dear. Thanks to a previously unknown dragonish thing called Ghidorah, who after Godzilla is the alpha empowered to call the shots. Ghidorah commands his crew to destroy Earth, and boy do they. Uh, okay. It's clear that this person has only seen the original Godzilla and the 98. The, the 1998 Roland Emmerich movie. So... Right off the bat, it kind of just shows you that King of the Monsters was not made for this person. But it explains that Ghidorah's roar, you know, unleashes the monsters. And again, to us Godzilla fans, this is actually nothing new. I mean, look at Godzilla Final Wars. The aliens controlled Kaiju and they all sprung back up to attack the Earth. This is nothing new. I love that. Uh, is a he's a dragonish thing, uh, and yeah. Well, let's go continue on. Meanwhile, Emma's ex-husband Mark is still traumatized after the downfall of San Francisco and the death of their son, but is brought back into the fold anyway. Nothing more about Mark. I mean, are you going to complain anything about Mark? I can give you some complaints if you want, but again, you were so focused on Emma, you forgot about the rest of the movie. See, there is endless exposition here, which you have not provided. How dare you? <laughs> but seriously, like, endless exposition. You're talking about exposition near the end of the article. I felt like this could have been a better review if you talked about anything else other than Emma. When all we want are monster fights, while we get a few very cool monster fights, there are simply not enough monster fights. But what about the monster fights? Tell me, do we have monster fights in this movie? Next time, please, more monster fights. See, we had plenty of monster fights. See, you got Godzilla versus Ghidorah. You got Rodan versus the military. You got Rodan versus Ghidorah. You got the rematch of Godzilla versus Ghidorah in the ocean. And then you got the Battle of Boston, which has a combination of Rodan versus Mothra and Godzilla versus Ghidorah. That's a brawl out. I mean, I'm going to count that as at least two fights. So we're talking about six fights here. Six monster action scenes. 
and we're not even talking about the monster appearances. Like I didn't even mention Mothra. As like Marvel Mothra's attack on the monarch uh, soldiers, I guess. I don't know her defense of the monarch soldiers or Godzilla approaching the monarch. But I, I haven't even talked about the kaiju's appearances. But yeah, we've got plenty of kaiju action. You, sir, would have known if you didn't stop paying attention to what Emma's doing. Buddy, stop being a simp for Emma. You just gotta move on. The big final scaly skimmish takes place in Boston, but unlike Roland Emmerich from Broderick's Godzilla, director Michael Dordry doesn't have a flair for clobbering landmarks. While we see Fenway fall, we never get to see the Faneuil Hall stomped on or the Tea Party ships in Boston Harbor sent flying. Beantown is indistinguishable rubble. I don't know why I had so much problem with that one word. Before you know it, the whole movie is indistinguishable rubble that is a weird complaint is that uh we never get to see enough landmarks clobbered in this godzilla movie that's a weird complaint it's like oh yeah sure he's destroying buildings but not these specific landmarks i wanted him to destroy specific landmarks when everybody else is like Big lizard fight three-headed dragon. This is fun. I mean, Godzilla slamming Ghidorah through that building was fucking epic. Monster destruction does not need famous landmarks there, buddy. Again, that's such a weird hang-up. It's like, mm, it doesn't destroy enough famous landmarks. See, and this is why... This is why I picked this review, and this is the review that made me say, yeah, I don't think a lot of people get the appeal of this movie. I don't think it was meant, this movie was meant for them. And finally, let's see, how long we were in? 30 minutes, alright. I'm going to want to just touch upon this review. I'm not going to read full on into it. I'm just going to take a segment out because this one is a pretty long review, longer than the last one. And, but there's just like at least two uh, or three paragraphs I want to take from this review because it's very, because it's very contradictory to the last review. <laughs> Alright, and this is the funny part about these reviews is that they are, not only do they conflict with the audience, like, I, again, going back to Ron Tomatoes, we get the audience score 83%, so audiences seem to enjoy this movie. But, so not only do you have critics going against what the audience, say, you know, thinks about this movie or at least the general consensus is for the movie is on audience but the critics can't even agree on what are the problems with this movie 
So the last review from New York Post was not enough monster action. So here, this is from Uprox or Uprox Uprox U P R O X X. Anyway, the title is called Godzilla King of the Monsters is convoluted to the point that it makes no sense. And this is by Mike Ryan. And here's the segment that I wanted to touch on. So, okay, yes. If you saw Gareth Edwards' Godzilla from 2014 and thought, um, I'm mad. There's not enough action in this movie. Well, you are in luck. Edwards' version was almost a masterclass in how to build anticipation. Then let it all come soaring out in a fiery rage. That's why at the end, we felt that adrenaline rush. The movie was designed for us to feel that way. That's the way it works. Now, I know Godzilla 2014 was two episodes ago. But I remember, while I agree with the... I do ultimately like the build-up. I felt it was... It could have been executed better. Where it pleased everyone. Because again. A lot of people. Including myself. Felt that the cutaways. Got annoying. And that the movie teased. Maybe a bit too much. But. Oh yeah. By the way. This came out. Uh, back when the. First reviews. Okay. Back on the review. But here's what happens. People see... Oh, wait, 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 wait. Before I go on, I just want to touch on the... The movie was designed for us to feel that way. That's the way it works. I love that. That's just how it works. That's how the way it works. Like, you don't devolve away from it works. I just like that wording. So anyway, continue on. But here's what happens. People see the ending to 2014's Godzilla and wonder, well, if I felt that rush at the end of the movie, why can't I feel that rush during the whole movie? Why can't I just feel nice thing all the time? Man, he makes us make us sound so whiny. I mean, if he's going off what Twitter says, I mean, he's not wrong. Twitter is whiny. Twitter's very, very whiny. I hate the site, but I have to post on it to get anywhere on anywhere (laughs) anyway enough complaining about the bird app uh where was i it's because our bodies don't work that way when a movie is just non-stop monster action guess what happens it all becomes the new normal and it becomes boring it doesn't have to be all boring i mean Let's talk about anime for a second. Ever heard of a show called Dragon Ball Z? The uh, That has a crap ton of action. And some of the light fights are long in that show because of filler and trying to keep in speed with the manga's release, but... Ever heard of the meme of five minutes till the planet blows up? Yeah, how many episodes were that five minutes? There was like a lot of nonstop action. There's a lot of nonstop action in Dragon Ball Z 
and a lot of the movies, I mean, holy dude, holy crap, dude. It's, well, I'm going to be honest here, feeling good all the time. It actually feels pretty good all the time. <laughs> feeling good throughout the movie. I mean, yeah, there's breaks in between, but. And this movie, King of the Monsters, it has breaks between the monster fights. It's not, it's not all just action. There's a, some moments of awe and beauty. Ay, ay, ay. I don't think any of the action here is boring. That, anyway, and this is the approach Godzilla King of the Monsters takes. It's just felt like the same scene over and over again. I don't know. Again, let's go with something else. Have you ever seen wrestling? This is how you kind of have to treat some of these movies. These aren't... These are kind of like huge special effects filled wrestling matches. So you're getting like different matchups in between human scenes. That's how you got to view it. But here's how this person viewed it. He, oh, look, there's a monster. And now here comes some jet fires to shoot missiles at it. Oh, dang, the missiles didn't work again. Well, maybe next time. Oh, wow, it's next time again already. What was it? Uh, Evangelion. I don't remember if this was said in the rebuilds or I don't know if it was said in Evangelion. I'm pretty sure it was. I I haven't recently watched Evangelion. Okay, I have. I watched it last month. Like I watched all of Evangelion to catch up and to watch 3.0 plus 1.0. But I was also I'm also just been listening to a podcast talking about Evangelion. And I think. It was the Monster vs. Men podcast. Shout out to them. Anyway, I think they mentioned, you know, how it's like, yeah, it's a fruitless effort, but it's the only thing that they could do. I mean, like, that's the extent. Is that, like, they, the line was that they don't, I can't remember the line exactly, but it's more of, they need, because shooting all our ammo at something just makes us feel better. You know, like we won't feel at ease if we just sit there and do nothing. So it's not that it's not like, oh gee, real cruise, that didn't work. Let's you know it's not the definition of insanity. It's just more of like they're doing the humans and the movie with their ships, that's the best that they can do. And they'd rather do something than just sit there and do nothing. And I, I love that it's a complaint, like a common complaint I see about this movie is that the human characters don't do nothing, yet here proves that, you know, shoot missiles, oh, they don't work. Oh, also, by the way, one missile, the oxygen destroyer, that worked pretty well, just not for the right cause. And I would argue that in the Rodan scene, the missiles were effective in their use because they weren't, their goal was not to kill Rodan, but to 
get Rodan's attention. So ultimately, that worked. All right, and this is the last paragraph I'm going to read, and I am definitely running out of time here. This is going to be a long episode. Anyway, well, here comes the part I've been dreading, trying to, trying at all to explain the plot of Godzilla, King of the Monsters. <sighs> he had a deep breath, so I had to do a deep breath. All right, here we go. Dr. Mark Russell and Dr. Emma Russell lose their young son during the carnage and sure Godzilla's fight with Mudo during the events of the first film. They are now estranged, with Mark sending his time studying wolves as one does after a month. After a Godzilla attack and Emma living on a secret research facility with a dark... Okay, you know what? I should have skipped that paragraph. My apologies. Yeah. It, because here's the thing. The be- I always get messed up. I think... Well, here comes the part I'm dreading. I think that's still a continuation of the monster action, but... You get the gist. That this uh, reviewer, you know, critics, is like, uh, there's too much... Too much monster action. And this Godzilla movie. And the last review was like, not enough monster action. In fact, there's not enough specific landmarks being destroyed. You see what I mean? When, Especially with this review. The whole, there's too much monster action. Well, maybe this movie was not meant for you, good sir. But yeah, ultimately, I felt that a lot of these negative reviews, they're humorical. You know, they're, they're a bit humorous. Because, again, it's just obvious that King of the Monsters was not meant for them. And I will say, to be fair, to be fair to the critics here, even though I highly, highly don't agree with their opinions, it this is their job. I do have to respect the fact that they probably didn't want to watch the movie beforehand. And... They were forced to do it by their publisher or their editor or whatnot. This was just not something they were looking forward to at the beginning. And, you know, to be fair, again, this that's just sometimes part of the job of, I guess, for these critics. Sometimes you're just going to be watching stuff you don't like. And you got to give your opinion now on a movie you don't like. and some, And that is hard work. Like, this is like, I will commend these critics. This is hard work, even though I find it humorous. I will empathize, empathize with them and say it is hard work, especially since if it's not a, like you're criticizing a movie you're not particularly fashion, like, particularly passionate about. And at the end of the day, I want to give a message to the audience is that this is why you need to be picky on who you listen to like don't go listen to every reviewer or every critic just go find the ones that at least for the most part they align with your taste they have similar tastes and art that you do and i think those are the opinions you can take you know with more than a grain of salt you can take into serious consideration if like purchasing product or whatnot. Anyway, this is a long episode. My apologies, <laughs> but 
hey, maybe you like long-term contact or content, content, and maybe you like listening to my voice for over an hour. If you do, you're weird, but hey, I love that. I love weird. I'm weird. So anyway, that's it for this week's episode. Until next time, check me out on Twitter and Instagram at Shen John Snyder, and I gotta work on my YouTube channel. I'll figure the naming out later. When I actually start uploading these, they mean they'll be uploaded onto the channel, YouTube channel, and also follow me on whatever platforms I choose. Again, these episodes are being pre-recorded before I set everything up. These are the early episodes. So, hey, forgive. But still, be awesome. And hopefully, I'll see you next time. Take care. On the next episode of John vs. Film, the epic conclusion to the MonsterVerse will come with conflicted feelings. Will John end up agreeing with critics? We'll be back next week to let them fight.